The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. Hello, hello. We are live uh, doing Culture Insanity, and we actually have a lot to discuss today. So I'm Pastor Josh, and that is... Pastor James. That's right. Um, <coughs> so we have a few things on our list that we're going to talk about. We're going to do a sort of uh, off-the-cuff movie review of Everything Everywhere All at Once. We're going to talk about like um, the sexualization of minors, I guess. <coughs> talking about Millie Bobby Brown. We're going to talk about, well, and I guess kind of Will Wheaton, sort of. Yeah. Um, We're going to talk about Florida and, uh, well, Disney versus DeSantis. And uh, we're (laughs) going to talk about how Chris Pratt never gets a break. (coughs) So before we get started, let's do some trivia. We're right off the bat. That's right. All right. What TV star in this in the video for Bruce Springsteen's What TV star is in the video for Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark? What? Uh, uh Bob Saget. <laughs> Bob Saget. No. <laughs> Courtney Cox. Uh, okay. All right. <clears throat> let's get going. Um let's let's go ahead and tackle kind of the big one uh dealing with DeSantis and Disney. So let me let me pull that up for us and get that on the on the view screen here. No, no, no. <laughs> I've got like everything. Here we go. Whoa. Here we go. I think. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Time we told you earlier in the week about how the left is very mad, in fact, trying to shut down a site called Libs of TikTok. Why are they so mad at libs of TikTok? Well, here's one of the reasons. Over the past half year or so, video after video has appeared on social media showing school teachers bragging enthusiastically about how they push their personal sexual politics, often weird and gruesome sexual politics, on the small children they're supposed to be teaching. Now, the students in question are not teenagers. They're kindergartners, first graders, kids who have no perspective on life and no power to fight back. So many parents saw these videos, in some cases on libs of TikTok, and they were shocked. They had no idea that anything like this was happening in the classroom. Having some purple-haired loser in a nose ring, only one state really did anything about this. That would be the state of Florida (coughs) under Ron DeSantis. Several weeks ago, the Florida legislature passed a law banning teachers from bragging about their own sex lives to small children. Okay, so that's that's the setup talking about what Disney has deemed the Don't Say Gay bill. We kind of talked about that, uh, I think, the last time, right? Uh, we, we, I think we, we touched, like, touched on it. On it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then, basically, DeSantis put this thing in. Uh, he put it out there that uh, Florida is not going to stand for that, and that you know parents should have control over education. And then Disney pushed back and said, "We're going to get this," and it passed. For the record, the bill passed, and it passed with bipartisan. Like sixty-seven percent of the voters were like for it. It was it's a it's like a landslide um, in terms of like what you're trying to pass. But Disney, uh, with their agenda, decided that they wanted to push against that and said that they were going to make it their mission to get to get that bill out. And uh, so now we're in the situation we're in. Let's see. But across the country, in the state of California, Bob Iger was watching, and Bob Iger didn't like it. Bob Iger is the 71-year-old former head of Disney. He's a bundler for Hillary Clinton. He's got some free time and strong political views, so he promptly tweeted the Florida law was immoral somehow. In an interview later with CNN with Chris Wallace, Iger explained that preventing teachers from promoting gender reassignment surgery to kindergartners was, quote, harmful to children. Then, because he is weak and not especially bright, Bob Chapek caved to their demands. Okay, so... Bob Iger is the former one. Bob Chapek is the new CEO. Um, <clears throat> and he didn't want to say anything, but he decided to because Disney, the Disney pride decided to push back. 
He agreed to hold a town hall with aggrieved Disney employees who wanted him somehow to take control of the Florida legislature. Paused. And I know that our silence wasn't just about the bill in Florida, but about every time an individual or institution that should have stood up for this community did not. I want to thank the LGBTQIA plus advisory council. Hey, Bob, what does LGBTQIA stand for? You have no freaking clue. Disney right. had decided to override the expressed will of Florida's voters there and overturn go. that law. Quote, our goal as a company, said Bob Chapik, so is for this law to be statement. repealed by the legislature or struck down in the courts, and we remain committed to supporting the national and state organizations working to achieve that. Whoa! <laughs> what? <laughs> you thought it was an entertainment company, but no. From its headquarters in Los Angeles, the Disney Corporation had now decided it runs the state of Florida. So for people who want to defend democracy, which is a system in which voters get to govern themselves, this was quite a departure. This is oligarchy. Corporate CEOs deciding what the laws should be? Yeah, that's their new position. But in the meantime, Disney employees kind of said about trying position. to yeah, undermine the intent really of Florida's new. law. If teachers could no longer promote transgenderism to kindergartners, Disney planned to step into the breach and do it themselves. Here's internal footage from Disney obtained by journalist Chris Rufo. Last summer, we, we removed all of the um, gendered greetings in relationship to our life skills. So we no longer say ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Um, we, we've trained, we, we've provided training for all of our, our cast members in, in relationship to that. So now they know it's, it's hello everyone or hello friends. Oh, so it's no more boys and girls. Disney World is now non-binary. Okay. That's the diversity and inclusion lady. You're not surprised. State. Well, in Florida, a remarkable set of special perks that company had enjoyed for more than 50 years. You are not treated like Disney is treated in Florida. You have never been treated that so way. So what he's talking about right now So is after that the special session, Disney... no more will Disney World operate as its own independent country within the state of Florida. Yes. Okay. So what... What he's explaining is that the response by DeSantis is to remove special privileges that Disney uh, has had in the state of Florida because Disney World has brought in so much money and so much, you know, and, and Florida at the time um, wasn't a destination spot the way it is now. And <clears throat> so now all, there's all these theme parks and there's an infrastructure built basically because of Disney. And so Walt Disney worked out this deal where they have special privileges, they can govern themselves, and DeSantis's response is, is that. Uh, let me back it up just a second. Mm -hmm. I've never been treated that well. So after the special session, no more will Disney World a remarkable yeah. set of special perks that company had this week. DeSantis led an effort to strip Disney of what turned out to be a remarkable set of special perks that company had enjoyed for more than 50 years. You are not treated like Disney is treated in Florida. You have never been treated that well. So after the special session, no more will Disney World operate as its own independent country within the state of Florida. Yes, that's how they were governed, by themselves. And now going forward, Disney is going to have to pay its taxes. Oh, wow, just like everybody else. Now, if you've lived in this country for more than, say, all right. <clears throat> what do we think about this? This is a big deal, guys. Like, this is a big deal. Well, it, uh, it's a huge deal. It, it <clears throat> I mean, um, corporations often get, like, tax breaks and, and that type of thing to, to come into an area for economic development and that type of thing. Uh, so that's now being used as a, as a weapon in this, this fight, mm -hmm. um, you know, for that. Um, but you know, <clears throat> we, uh, we no longer see, uh, companies just, uh, bribing politicians to try right. to get what they want passed. Right. Now it's, uh, you know, open and in the news media, it's the new courtroom, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, uh, kind of interesting to see how a small group or, or population looks to sway, um, public opinion uh, right. in that regard. So, um. I just I go back to thinking about like um, uh, just a, a lot of how Proverbs describes fools mm. and uh, how proud of themselves that they are uh, 
that they uh, they've come up with these things and how wise they are that they've come up with these things right. and and how foolish it, it really is. Yeah, well, <clears throat> the other the other thing to consider is we're setting precedent here Absolutely. now. This is never this this sort of pushback has never really been done before. You've got this guy who, you know, maybe he'll run for president. Uh, Pastor Monty, who I'm sure he'll talk about it um, <laughs> during Truth Time. He uh, he says that uh, DeSantis isn't going to run against Trump um, in the primaries or whatever. He's not going to try to run against Trump. Um, but that being said, if he did, I'll bet he'd have a lot of backers. Um, and there is something, there is a precedent that's being set here where uh, the government is pushing back and against a big business as opposed to like making these under the table deals with yes. them. Um, however, there's also another precedent, and I'm wondering if it might come back to bite us. So tell me what you think about this. Okay. You have a small group of people. The government doesn't like what they're doing, and so it decides to strip their tax-exempt status. What do you think about that? Gee, uh, who could you be alluding to in that? <laughs> so, James, tell us a little bit about this. James is a tax man, if, for those who don't know by trade. So uh, he might be able to speak a little clearly about this. Uh, well, it's not... Uh yeah. Well, I mean, there's already specific things that are in place, uh, you know, specifically for religious uh, organizations. Uh, they and, and, you know, some not for profit charities as well mm -hmm. enjoy mm -hmm. a similar type of status uh, uh, within the 500 series of the code. Just, you know. Yes. Um, but uh, as one does, <clears throat> as one does. The yes. 500 series. Um, so they uh, you know, they don't uh, have to pay, uh, like, property taxes. They don't have to pay federal taxes on the funds that are donated. Um, the, but there are things that can change that status already. For example, mm -hmm. if we, as a church body, were to specifically <coughs> promote one candidate over another mm -hmm. from the pulpit and from all of our... So, like, on this podcast, we're like, oh, you need to vote for this person, and mm -hmm. this is why you should vote for them, and that type of thing. Uh, they can uh, then actually strip that status because you're no longer operating as a free religious institution. You're acting, uh, therefore, as a as a public uh, push for a particular political candidate. Mm -hmm. Now, it's okay to talk about certain like ballot measures and encourage people to vote, but you can't tell them which way to vote. Mm -hmm. um, or that Fortunately, the, the views represented in this program do not reflect the views of... Alethi Bible Fellowship. Alethi Bible Fellowship. Um, <laughs> <coughs> the uh, yeah. So so what I'm what I'm positing is you know I, I believe I'm sure that Pastor James believes this too that this is a good move on the part of on the part of uh, Florida. Um, do you? I think it's a good move, uh, especially because of uh, you know what it what it's about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's a good move. I think that it is the right role of government in this case to push against that and to push for what the people want. It's very clear that the people in Florida want this. The left-leaning uh, people don't want to believe that, but right. but the, the stats and the polls show that it's true. So the fact that Disney is you know just doing its own special interest thing is a problem, and that is, I don't care how, how you spin it, what Disney says, we're going to make this our mission, the largest, arguably the largest uh, reaching company in the world, at least uh, forward facing, like in the in the public eye. Um, <clears throat> when they say we're going to make it our mission and goal to like change the way that government works in this way because we disagree with it, um, that's that can be their mission, but that shouldn't be their mission, uh, and that is like as a company. And that is dangerous to democracy. And I agree with what that guy, Tucker, Tucker Carlson, right? I agree with that. Uh, that I don't watch him, so I'm not a big fan of. Uh, is that a Fox News thing? I I think so. Yeah. Sorry, Pastor Monty, I'm letting you down. Um, <coughs> I agree with what he's saying. That's that's an oligarchy, and that's inappropriate, and it is a threat to democracy. However, the groundwork is being laid for precedent to be set, and I think that. We're going to start seeing this precedent happening uh, with corporations and all of their wokeness 
and other agendas that they have where they're going to have to restructure the way that they think about their relationship with the government because uh, I think DeSantis is changing the game. I think he's opened up something. Yeah, uh, but, you know, I... I uh, I understand exactly where you, you're going with the the caution there as to what that opens up. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had a similar type of discussion in regards to like uh, marriage, and mm-hmm. when when you know the government got involved in marriages and uh, get you know gave special favor to marriages and, and mm-hmm. started issuing licenses for right. marriages, it gave you you know, tax benefits, all of these different types of things, because it saw that that builds uh, a strong foundation in a a country that's built on those foundations is definitely going to prosper. But once the government got involved in that, then that leads to, oh, okay, well, we we need now to redefine marriage because this group of people has decided that they want to get married according to the Well, it's a big stick, right? The government wields a big stick, and it tries not to wield a big stick, not in favor of the people. But you get the wrong government in place with the right precedent in place, and all of a sudden you have churches on a fast track to losing their 501c3 status and to losing their benefits. And, you know, imagine imagine a small church body, I can, with a large building (laughs) that it doesn't pay taxes on, and then all of a sudden it has to pay taxes. That's a problem, and that's a lot of. Uh, that's a lot of lot of congregations uh-huh. are are small. Um, you know, you know, twenty to twenty five people meeting. They just happen to have a building that's falling apart because it was built in nineteen oh one. That's right, nineteen sixty five, and joined together. Yeah, um, but you know they're they're not going to be able to to actually own any property. They're not going to be able to actually have a, a secure place in that regard just because they cannot uh, afford things like property taxes because it's it's 100% uh, you know based off of uh, uh, people being you know willing to give and having the resources to give right. in that regard. Well, and there's an assumption that an institution like a church uh, provides enough of a public service that it offsets the cost uh, of you know, having the church essentially, it, it it in itself is a benefit to the community that the community is willing to essentially eat the cost of it being there. Yeah. Um. But this sort of thing, even though this works for us now in terms of having conservative values and so on and so forth, and DeSantis, you know, pushing back on the this woke agenda that's happening with Disney, um, it could set a precedent. And and I think it will set a precedent. So it, it might push that back by another 20 years or something. But um, we should just be aware. We should be aware of what's going on. Be aware. And, and then also, you know, uh, you have to remember these things that have been with, uh, well, I mean, it's been with me all my life, right? Disney is the, the kid-friendly. Yeah, it's the standard. You know, m- media representation mm-hmm. of, of everything. And, oh, it's, you know, you put Disney movies on and, you know, yep, and just let your kids watch them because they're all wholesome. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times my uh, my children watched Mary Poppins. I have the whole thing memorized still, right? Um, but it's uh, you you got to watch out for what it is that they want to put their power behind. You have to yep. keep your mind going uh, when when you do partake of these things and when you do enjoy um, you know the entertainment that they provide. In that regard, well, pay attention to what was being said in that video. Uh, you know, they got rid of they uh, with Chris Chris Rufo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got rid of the you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Like we're dealing with something that seems so benign, but you're having a whole generation of people who are just consuming content, and they don't they won't think of it that way. They're not taught to think about it that way. You know, parents just kind of you know let them. Um, so it's all stuff to be paying attention to. Let's, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, why don't we stick with the, uh, Disney theme and go into Chris Pratt? Okay. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. And the sexualization. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's go ahead and look at that. Let me pull that up here. Here we go. So there is a movie coming out. Marvel Studios is. Marvel Studios is, it's like when you when you add possessive to Jesus, and it's like how do you say that Jesus is Jesus is anyway. <laughs> um, 
Marvel Studios has a new movie coming out in the Thor series. It'll be Thor 4, Thor Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder. It's supposed to be the uh, triumphant return and entry of uh, uh, what's her? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Also sexualized as a minor. Yes. Anyway, um, of Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, who I'm going to give you a spoiler, guys. <gasps> it's in the trailer. It is, but you you can't tell that it's her. Anyway, uh, Jane Jane Foster, a female Thor. Hmm. Um, in any case, so in this trailer, there is a funny moment between Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor and uh, Star Lord, and um, yeah, this is what it looks like. You ever feel lost? Look into the eyes of the people that you love. Not me. What? Just listen. That's it. That's the moment in question. That's the moment in question that has caused quite a backlash about... Poor, poor Chris Chris Pratt. Pratt. A brother in Christ. Um, You know, I, I can't speak to his maturity but he's certainly uh he's certainly facing a lot of backlash now the backlash here the claim here is that the way in which chris pratt acts this scene is homophobic um because you know he's staring at he's staring at the guardians when he says you know pay attention like put your eyes on the people that you love right and then chris hemsworth thor kind of you know tries to to get in there and he continues to like try to look at the people that he loves which is the guardians right um i would argue based upon the context of the scene that chris pratt's character star lord if you want to make love sexualized which it's not but if you wanted to make it that then actually he's pansexual because he's looking at all of these people and you know and uh uh, Thor is trying to lock him in to something homoerotic. That's what I would argue. That's interesting, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now, l- let me give you a bit of background. Okay. <laughs> let me let me give you a bit of background here just so you all know. Um, what you need to know that you don't know is that Marvel Studios, again, owned by Disney, um, not Marvel Studios, Marvel uh, the publisher has decided. <laughs> I don't know if this is like a backlash to uh, to things going on with Chris Pratt, but they've decided to make Star Lord into uh, well, I don't know if he's bisexual or pansexual, but his character in the comic books is 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 into guys as well as girls. I think he's more pansexual. I think he's like kind of a Captain Kirk character that's like into. Oh, that scares me. I just okay, guys. Just a side note: Strange Star Trek: Strange New Worlds is coming out, and they cast they cast James T. Kirk, and his character is a known like, um, you know, in sexual. The, in the old days, they'd call him a, a Lothario. Yeah, he's a sexual being. We'll put it that way. He's prosexual, and I just, I'm just, I would not be surprised if they, uh, if they explore the full spectrum of his sexuality. Please, no, no, no. <laughs> Yes, there's Michael Scott expressing my thoughts. Um, so you heard it here first, guys. I, I think there might be something there. Right. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so he – so first he he got in trouble because, you know, he was uh, – he attended, attended or was somehow connected to – I want to say it was Hillsong. Yes, yeah. it, it, it was, yes. He, yeah. He's connected to a church that is – Come out specifically against uh, gay marriage. A church that is, I would not call fundamental, but for some no. reason is fundamental in that way. Right. And uh, so since there's a connection to there and he is a Christian, he's already been labeled as homophobic. Yeah. Um, by the by the media and, and by the, well, even, uh, you've even heard this in like congressional meetings and stuff like that. So right. It's, it's big. Right. Right. Okay. So he... So he's got that rap, which is, um, I mean, not, I, I don't know that that's fair. But then on top of it, now this movie is getting that. And that's pretty interesting, considering that um, his character is known to be uh, 
prosexual without you know borders that the character of Valkyrie who was seen even in the clip that I showed is I think she's a lesbian yes and uh, and that it was here's the big one this is the big definer for why it shouldn't be considered that way it's scripted absolutely this made it past Disney's it made it into Disney's uh, marketing material and they like went and they took the they took the clip and everything and decided to put it in there because they thought it was cute and look at what they're willing to do uh, you know with this with, with this one law in Florida look at how they're willing to to not be okay with that but they're okay with this this is not this is not homophobia no this, i mean when it comes down to it this is just uh it's 100% just a comedy sketch yeah i mean though that that's a hundred percent comedy that's been used for decades, and I can't really think of maybe like a couple of people that have been called out for supposedly being homophobic because they've made similar jokes to that type of thing. Um, but it's comedy, and it doesn't stop in that regard. And this wasn't even a line. It's really, uh, it really just seems to be. Well, it's Chris Pratt, so yeah. Well, it's a classic bait and switch. I mean, yeah. we can make it into a sexual thing, but again, what he was talking about was not sexual. So that's the first thing. Uh, but but secondly, it is it's classic bait and switch, and you know it's it's a misunderstanding. That's why it's funny. Um, but on top of it, the implied like, I think that the implication is not expressly homophobia. No. Um, so. Yeah, pretty interesting. That's what's going on. Poor Chris Pratt. You can pray for him because he claims to be a believer and he's getting a lot for it. I do want to say that uh, the new Jurassic Park, the new Jurassic World, have yeah. you seen the trailers for it? I, I have not seen the trailers for it. Okay, that. so Jurassic World Dominion uh, looks great. And it's it's all of the it's all the old actors and all the new actors. Oh, yeah, so it's... Uh... It's like all of it together, and it looks it looks good. Um, so that looks good, and then he's like the voice of Mario, and he's and like he does not seem to be losing uh, business, and he's certainly not making money for the people that uh, you know that he works for. But he just he keeps getting it. Yeah. Anyway, let's play trivia. <laughs> Here we go. I dread trivia. All right. What network? What network's slogan in 1980? Okay. Okay. You've only got a choice of like what three? Four. Okay. What network's slogan in 1980 was "Looking Good Together"? This is totally weird. I should totally get this. You should be able to get it. But I'm at a loss. I'll give you a clue. Hmm. Looking good together. CW. <laughs> no, what? No, looking with your eye. With your eye. Oh, so it's supposed to be like ABC. CBS. CBS. <laughs> CBS. They have the eye logo, right? <clears throat> Come on, I gave that one away. All right. Anyway, uh, let's let's move on. Let's just say that things are associated weirdly in this uh, noggin thing. Okay. Let's talk about everything, everywhere, all at once. Check out this trailer. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now, you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. I actually really enjoyed the directing style of this a lot. What's happening? Although I don't know who Daniels is. I'm not your husband. I'm another version of all from another universe. I'm... I just want to point out, for those of you who don't know, that is short round. Yes. That is short round. You call him Dr. Jones, doll. That's short round. Here because we need your help. Very busy today. A whole time to help you. Across the multiverse. Thousands of Evelyns. We can access 
It's interesting because uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is coming out, right? And th- a lot of those like jerky movements and stuff is very Sam Raimi. Yes. Like I get a I get a Sam Raimi sort of feel off of this trailer. Even like the look that she has and the blood on her face and stuff. Anyway. Our only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. So James just got done watching this. I watched it, uh, I think it's opening weekend. Uh, I mean, okay. I think that's producer Jasmine being snarky. Um, Oh, no, what is that? That's me. That's you. Snarky? Snarky. (laughs) Oh, it's Whiplash. Another interesting movie. Miles Teller. Whatever happened to Miles Teller? I don't anyway, know. he's supposed to be in Top Gun, Maverick. That was supposed to come oh. out like four years ago. <laughs> that we still get, uh, you know, still get stuff in the theater for. Yeah. But uh, hasn't come out. Anyway. <clears throat> so anyway, we watched it. Uh, we both watched it recently. Um, I've got some definite thoughts about it. I'm wondering what your your take on it is. Well, quite honestly, I became very depressed as I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, cause basically, uh, uh, it just, uh, it presented not just one world, but many different universes of worlds mm-hmm. with all one thing in common. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Right. Well, nothing of value. Right. That it didn't make a difference what decisions you made. And, you know, I found that very depressing. Let's uh, if our if our producers can throw in there a link in um, to the worldview class that James mm. and I just taught on uh, the topic of God is everything. Um, you guys can check it out if you get a chance. But yeah, um, tell us more about that. Well, uh, there it it presented uh, that the basically that uh, there's no hope for anyone. Uh, everything that is done is meaningless. There's multiple variations, and every decision you make just creates nothingness. It doesn't really matter what you do. And uh, somehow it made even their... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It it made even their uh, resolution uh, seem uh, empty and, and meaningless as well. And... I was I was really saddened when I left that, and then to hear the audience's reaction as we went through the film, yeah, it it you know it it helped to enhance that depression uh, because uh, uh, you know there's the realization that we have people that that completely buy into this type of uh, theology and yeah find it funny and find it inviting and they find it real for them. 
And I just can't imagine continuing to live my life without that hope. Hmm. Yeah, well, human beings, human beings in particular, they laugh when they're uncomfortable. <laughs> and, um, you know, and they're interested in things that are that that are out of the realm of normal. And this movie, what it really does is it shows the absurdity of um, the idea that everything is meaningless, right? That everything yeah. is random. Yeah. Um, to give you some idea of it, I mean, I'll try not to give too many spoilers, but... Yeah, I was kind of telling telling the line. Yeah, to try not to give too many spoilers, but you have a lady whose life is... Uh, she just... It's boring for her. That's the long and short of it. She's married to, a, to you know, somebody that she met really young, and she kind of went against her parents' wishes to do that, and now she kind of regrets it, and they, they don't live the greatest life. They just they run a laundromat, and so she's, like, thinking about that as the movie starts, and then it turns out that she in a different universe or a different, um, a, like in the multiverse of things, she is more important than she thinks she is. And so then there's a combination of those worlds collide. And so she's like having to, to deal with the collision of those worlds and like kind of connect with her selves if she had made other choices, mm-hmm. which in my mind is a brilliant way of exploring um what it would look like to have other choices made you know the, the it's a it's interesting and that i want to say that the film was beautiful first of all it, it it was like in terms of production a beautiful production yeah great uh you know filmography oh there's a the direction there's it this really scene s- there's a scene with a fanny pack right oh, yeah and there's this moment again it reminded me of sam raimi um, one of the things that Sam Raimi is famous for is the way he uses the camera as part of the of the set. So, like, um, you'll see like an arrow flying, and the the camera will be like like on the arrow as if you're the arrow. Um, and that's one of the things he's famous for, right? And there's this scene with a fanny pack where I wanted to call him the short round character, but that's not that's not uh, the well, whatever. I can't remember his name, but anyway. Wong? Wang? I can't I can't remember. Wayne. I, I don't know. Maybe it is Wang. Anyway, um his character does a like a scene with a fanny pack where he's like fighting with it. And for the record, I will never look at fanny packs <laughs> the, the <laughs> same. I'll never look at fanny packs the same way. But the camera rolls with the fanny pack as it's like rolling around <laughs> like doing things and it's just it it helps to bring you into the absurdity of the of the situation, but it's masterfully crafted. Oh, it's crafted. Uh, uh, this this movie is destined to be one of those cult classics. Yeah, just the. It's a beautiful movie in terms of it, its aesthetic. It's filmed well. It has several moments that that people will just find hilarious. It's got enough camp to it. You yeah, know, that uh, it takes itself seriously, yeah. without. It like makes fun of itself. Without talking down about yeah. itself, yeah, it's very Whedon esque in that way. Um, but in any case, so <clears throat> she, the the main character, she then gets to explore all sorts of facets of if she made decisions differently, right? But then it starts breaking off into well, what if she didn't make decisions differently? But what if she was actually ontologically different? Everything from having fingers that are made of hot dogs to, you know, just absurd things uh, to being a rock. And so it's from a philosophical standpoint, it's very rich in terms of um, the material that's there. But a lot of people aren't going to watch it and really understand what's going on. And that's that's what I've heard. Um, from people in the theater with me, from people I know that have seen it, they're just like, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to really be uh, be uh, quick of mind, even just to follow all of the different places that it takes you. Yeah. Quite honestly, so you know, you, you I had to go into it with a mindset of I I'm viewing this for a particular reason, and I want to see, you know, what what's going on with it so i have to pay attention yeah i was really um saddened in the same vein as what pastor james was saying as i was watching it 
especially where it could have ended. But the, the fact is that the movie didn't end that way, and I think it didn't end in a nihilistic way. Um, it should have ended nihilistically, uh, but it didn't. And so I think that's what's going to make it palatable to people because it did the age-old trick of borrowing from Christianity. And so now I am going to spoil it in this sense. I'm going to say that the way that the movie ends is that there's a resolution. We call it um, in, in film, they call it a duex machina, right? This thing... Um, this God in the machine that comes out of nowhere and resolves everything. Um, something that doesn't make sense to the film, something that doesn't, or to the story that shouldn't necessarily be there and so on and so forth. So in this, like in so many cases, uh, the, the duex machina is love, right? Right. And so love gets introduced to the story pretty late into the story and then provides meaning that then resolves everything. Um, and that just doesn't make sense. Well, not only does it not make sense for this movie that, you know, leaves, leaves me feeling Mm -hmm. depressed because of the state of nothing really matters. Right. But I mean, that, that would have been present, that love would have been present in one of those multiverses already. Right. Because if, if it's, if the multiverse theory is applied, Right. Then so there, there was, must be a universe with meaning. There was universe there would be a universe where that love was expressed in the way that it needed to be expressed. Right. And then you wouldn't have the movie at all. Right. No, it's a it's a it's it's one of those arguments that is nifty to think about but can't possibly exist on the weight of its own uh rules. Right. And so they had to borrow from really a Christian ethic. Uh, just like my critique about Doctor Strange having to borrow the concept that time is meaningful when they spend the entire movie talking about how time is not meaningful. Um, they had to borrow from the concept, uh, the Christian concept of love as being a massive definer of where we get our meaning from and specifically like godly love, self-sacrificial love. Um, they have to introduce that late on to give the movie meaning. Otherwise, audiences would have walked out depressed. And honestly, if the movie had ended where I thought it was going to end and kind of hoped that it did in terms of what it would do, which was essentially uh, two rocks that were sitting there, <laughs> that's <laughs> that, that's no, that would have been a that would have been a ending. that would yeah, have been that that would have been like you know some meaning to this, right, you know, right. The the movie sort of climaxes at an understanding of the absurdity and meaninglessness of the world when you have, in the multiverse of realities, uh, the character who can hop between herself and multiverses and the, the villain and the hero choosing that the real reality is just to be rocks. And that's just it, right? But then, again, there's a certain point where there's a jump start of relationship there where the one rock chooses to pursue the other rock and that makes zero sense according to the narrative but human beings would not resonate with it otherwise so there you go um when you watch it and and if you're a cinephile in any in any fashion i would recommend watching it uh, because i think there's things to learn from uh, like the whoever daniels is uh, understands understands their craft pretty well, I would say, based on this. Um, I think there's a lot to learn. It, but understand what you're watching. You're, you're watching something that cannot hold its own weight. Um, I think a lot of people will walk through it thinking that it's super deep, super um, meaningful. Oh, yeah. And it's not. It's not. Wow. It's, a, it's, a, it's a hat trick. You know, it's a, what is it? A shell, a shell game. The shell game. Yeah. Where, where while they're just, oh, I'm, I'm about to spoil shell games, okay. aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while you're mixing up the shells <laughs> with the pea, yes. right, the reason that you can't find it no matter how good you follow is because in that mix up, they kind of just slide a hand, slide the pea out off the edge of the table and yeah, it's, it's not no there. longer on any shell. Yeah, it's not there anymore. Um, well, in this case, it'd be a reverse shell game, right? There is no P until they like sneak one in. Um, well, there's a, you know, there's a, a 
TikTok, uh, you know, real, whatever you want to call it, yeah. short, where they're at the people are sitting around a table at like a Benihana or some type of restaurant yeah. where the chef is right there at the table. And there's an egg. He puts it under a bowl. He distracts them, goes over here, grabs some water, puts it in front of the water, shakes the bowl around, and suddenly, oh, there's two eggs. Mm. But if you watch it, it's it's clearly just as he puts the bowl down, he has another egg and in he his ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. slips it in. And that's what's happening here. There's right. there's no egg. They're just like, oh, let's put one there. Right. And it doesn't, doesn't really work. No, it feels like magic uh, when it happens in the movie, but it's not magic. They stole <laughs> from Christianity while trying to not... Uh, you know, while trying to say that life is meaningless. So you walk away because most people are not going to be deep enough to understand what's going on. You're going to walk away feeling good because you ended on a good note. But there was nothing in the movie to get you there. Now, there are really sharp visuals and really interesting concepts. And this movie is absurd. It, uh, crazy. It is it's crazy. Absurd. It like everything from... Like bizarre references, like uh, Ratatouille. Yeah. Like Disney's Ratatouille, except for it being uh, a rat, it's a raccoon, and because the because she has a hard time pronu- pronouncing pronouncing. Wow, That's, there's the <laughs> there's the irony. There's a multiverse in where I said that correctly. She has a hard time pronouncing uh, Ratatouille, and she calls it raccoon raccoon cooey. Raccoonie. Yeah, and so there's you know. And so in some multiverse, there's an actual raccoon version of Ratatouille. It's, it's just ridiculous, this movie. And yet, it's so masterfully done. And I agree with, with Pastor James. It's probably going to become a cult classic. Oh, absolutely. We might use it as, a, uh, as perhaps a, um, a study, the way we use like The Matrix to talk about Gnosticism. Uh, I think it would it would add itself nicely to that library. Yeah, it could be interesting. Uh, I will warn you, however, that it is... Also, absurdly long. Yeah, it's really long. So, I mean, part of my depression could have been that I was out till eleven fifty at night. <laughs> but yeah, it's really long. And I'll just I'll just throw out a shout to Michelle Yeoh, who is oh, good in everything she does. Um, yeah. So, and and short round, you know, data. I think uh, he made he, I, that he was, was great excellent. in that movie. No, he definitely. Played his character very well. Yeah, yeah, he was great in that movie. You call him Doctor Jones Doll. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. We got a little bit here. Let's let's play this clip. If it plays. Hello. Oh, so it's gonna play when. You're uh, I, I, I've heard before you talk about some of the struggles you were going through during Stand By Me and yeah. you know uh, while I was 11 at the time that's uh... yeah. alright so we're looking at Jerry O'Connell and Will Wheaton and some lady in the middle um, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry O'Connell and Will Wheaton were in a movie together when they were kids they're both successful actors um, in their own right and they're talking about their experience in Stand By Me which is a it's a classic Stephen King um, although not horror but it's a classic Stephen King like coming of age story absolutely from the 80s that's an excuse I do want to apologize for not being there more for you when you were younger but I just want to I I mean I want to say to the bigger picture you never know what someone is going through when you're with them so like it was um I don't feel guilt but I just wanted to say I'm sorry I wasn't there for you more you know um I, I deeply appreciate that you were 11 Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, I'm not saying that as a yeah. joke. No, no, I'm not, I'm not doing a bit. I'm not doing a bit at all. I'm saying you were 11. How could you possibly have known? Yeah. Also, everyone in the audience who is a trauma survivor knows this. Yeah. We're real, real, real good at covering up what we're yeah. going through. That's right. That's right. That's right. So here, we'll, we'll just do these in tandem. So it's, uh, we can hit them quicker. Let's see Go here. Yeah, Millie. Star Millie Bobby Brown is opening up about the challenges of being in the spotlight at a young age. Now, as you know, uh, the actress quickly rose to fame at just 12 years old and was forced to navigate through the crucial teenage years while in the public eye. Yeah, appearing on the Guilty Feminist podcast, Millie spoke about the gross way she was sexualized for years. Take a listen. I deal with the same things any 18-year-old is dealing with navigating 
being an adult and having relationships and friendships and it's all of those things you know being liked and trying to fit in it's all of a lot and you're trying to find yourself <laughs> while doing that the only difference is that obviously I'm doing that in the public eye so it can be really overwhelming I have definitely been dealing with that more within the last two weeks of turning 18 um, definitely uh, seeing a difference between the way people act and the way the press and social media have reacted to me becoming of age. Um, you know, in my life, I believe, and I, in my opinion, I believe that that shouldn't change anything. But um, it's gross and it's true. And so I think it's just a very good representation of what's going on in the world and how young girls are sexualized. You know, it must be a wild thing when you're 12, like we said, and, and you're getting sexualized even for the next couple of years. And I, I'm sure there's even not like an understanding of what's going on until you're the age she is now and you can look back, back and you're like, what was So <clears throat> we'll put those two together, uh, those clips together. They're not expressly connected. I don't know if Will Wheaton's issues, uh, I don't know if he... No, it was more, more along the lines of uh, mental abuse. He was pushed yeah. into... To doing something that he did not want to do right but he was done so by you know controlling parents in that regard right. and forced to forced into this and uh you know told specifically how it is that he was going to carry this off and and that right. type of thing so it was more like an overbearing you know situation situation yeah like uh shia shia labeouf is that right did you did you ever see is it honey boy i i did not okay there's a movie about it. Is it Honey Boy? I, th I think that's the right one. Anyway, um, so yeah, so we have these two clips. Um, first of all, I just want to say that TV's Wesley Crusher, Will Wheaton, um, I I really appreciate the way that he handled that. Well, I think that's um, that's not normal. No, I it's not. Say. It's not normal. Um, but you know, he he's handled it with uh with definite you know maturity and and you know uh you know uh, quite honestly it it's beyond his years even in in that regard that that understanding of you know especially this day and age right it's like you know oh no you should have been there if you're not there for me if you're not uh, advocating for me then you're part of the problem you're it, an oppressor you're yeah. you're an oppressor his response is quite honestly dude you you were 11 how yeah. could you possibly know? And not only that, w you know, people that are going through the that trauma, we're really good at hiding. Mm -hmm. you, you, you're not going to know what's going on with us necessarily, unless you know to ask the right questions or look for specific signs. It's uh, it's not something that's going to be discernible. And then, you know, and then you have the kind of similar in in the fact that it's traumatizing for a young youngster. Um, uh, you know, with Millie Bobby Brown, it's more like uh, it's more about like how fans react and treat her and um, the uh, the sexualization of young ladies. Um, just, you know, oh, just wait till she turns 18 and, and mm -hmm. that type of thing. Uh, I uh, believe it or not, uh, Billie Eilish comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Same type of thing. Yeah. Um, she's Billie Eilish specifically wore baggy clothes and that type of thing to try to avoid that right. sexualization. Um, well, and, and mentioned earlier, Natalie Portman with, uh, right. her role in Leon, the professional, yep. you know, great movie by the way. Oh, absolutely. Um, <coughs> yeah, there's a, there's a huge weight that's put on people at a young age and I think we're faced with a difficult choice as as we are coming into an era that doesn't just pretend that these things didn't happen. We're faced with a difficult choice as to how we want to deal with them. So on, on the one side, I think, like you said, I think Will Wheaton um, expresses a real poise mm -hmm. in the way that he dealt with that. Um, and I don't think that it's bad that Jerry O'Connell um, expressed that. I'm kind of weird weirded out that he expressed it in public. <laughs> yeah. Like that's well, that's kind of that, weird to me. Uh, it's it, but it's not weird to them, right? Right. That's they're public. They, figures. they grew up in public, so having a conversation on a talk show in public and airing those things is not abnormal. Yeah, they're also well. I, yeah, they're also both commentators. I think absolutely. 
Jerry O'Connell is like a cast member on like the talk or something. I don't know. And Will Wheaton is like he's a commentator. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he does now for a living. Um, so yeah, I guess that's true. But to me, it's just it's it's a little bit strange to to be like, okay, I'm gonna wait till I'm in public and like right. it's recorded. Right. Um, but uh, the way that he went about that is, I think, what we want to see. Uh, Will, the way that Will went about that, um, in not excusing it, but but understanding the situation. Um, that possibly is also a form of abuse uh, to put on to young people this the impossible weight of everything from mandated reporting to uh, just when I say mandated reporting, I mean like reporting to the police when something's happening. You know, that's that's an impossible weight to put on a young person to know what they should or shouldn't do and to be able to navigate really adult decisions with large outcomes that affect the life of like whole families, right? And so you can hear it in Jerry Connell Jerry O'Connell, you can hear in his thought process, you know, the sense of guilt right. that's there. And I think that that's something that's been being built into the culture also. Um if you don't say something, you are part of the aggression. And I think that there is a point where a person has full faculty of themselves that they need to say something and they are part of the problem. But uh, a child? I don't know. That's that's hard. Well, no, I, it's uh, it's really a it's definitely a product of the culture, Josh. I mean, yeah. we we're taught now that 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 is specifically, you know, how we come out against something is we can't just you know, not be a part of it to begin with. Mm -hmm. We have to specifically advocate against. And if we're not advocating full force against, then we're accepting it and we're creating it in some way. Right. So uh, it takes personal responsibility to a whole nother level. It's just really not sustainable. I mean, Mm -hmm. quite honestly, if we're going to take that all the way out, there's so many different things that we wouldn't partake of. We wouldn't be able to live our lives if we took that type of, of uh, outlook and, and pressure into every aspect of our lives. Uh, there's products we wouldn't buy. There's yep. places we, we wouldn't uh, even begin to, to support or shop at. Uh, there's uh, places that we wouldn't live, right? If right. We, it, it creates a fractured society with, you know, we'd all move out into different communes with people who had those same type of convictions. And because they're broken down into so many small pieces, uh, you're going to end up alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think the responsibility needs to do the best with what we have and to be graceful and forgiving for each other. The scripture says we're supposed to be tenderhearted toward each other, you know, and forgiving. Um, And I think that that's a part of it. Uh, What I, again, what I really appreciate about, will wheaton's critique there and i don't i don't know how many of you have ever listened to him he's kind of like a geek icon um but he can be pretty scathing um he can be really like aggressive in his in his commentary in his critique but in this case you can tell that he places blame where it should go and i think that that's important he he actually comes across as someone, I'm not going to say that he's completely dealt with the trauma, yeah. but he comes across as, as someone who's dealing with the trauma appropriately. So yeah. he's confronting the trauma, he's dealing with uh, with the consequences of that trauma and uh, applying that. And that's the only way that you're going to ever healthily deal with something in that way. Yeah. And as for Millie Bobby Brown, I like I know that she's a star, right? But... Um, I think the thing that concerns me, like in her case, that's part of her profession. What concerns me for our young ladies, I have two biological daughters and others on top of it that, you know, I'm responsible for raising and taking care of. And um, like what concerns me is that everybody has a camera on them all the time. And like when we talk about her and we talk about the sexualization of minors, um, which is a real problem that isn't just happening to people with cameras in front of them that's happening to uh everybody and right. and I look at I look at my daughters and I look at what they have to deal with and I look at um some of the teenagers 
that I've been around over the course of my life and especially the the ladies and that's a really tough thing to grow up with um and yeah and I, and I, and I think there is a call in this to to really seek to understand your um your value um as being found in something that's not you know society uh not likes and to understand your sexuality um in something that's not defined by likes and you know so on and so forth but unfortunately we do see an epidemic of that we see an epidemic of young people who you know are just just in this you know non-stop photo reel of selfies you know trying to trying to be sexualized well, right, because you're doing whatever it is that you can to have the most attention paid to you, um, and you're, you're, you know, you're going to go wherever it is that that takes you, and that's a dangerous path to take mm-hmm. um, to sell yourself mm-hmm. um, at any age. Right. Well, and so that's the caution that I think I would give, especially to the young ladies out there. Um, you know, you look at somebody like Millie Bobby Brown, who is famous, uh, and you and you see the sexualization of her maybe as positive, but when you actually listen to her talk, it's not positive, and she doesn't view it that way. And so, like, don't flirt with these things because you might just get them. Um, there's a conversation. I'm not going to play a clip from it, but Bill Maher was talking to Bella Thorne, I think. Bill Maher was talking to Bella Thorne about uh, slut-shaming and about um, uh, like anxiety amongst young people and stuff. And <clears throat> it's just, it's this, it's this thing that is pervasive where where we don't realize the extreme amount of pressure that's put on young people to perform. Um, and now it's not necessarily their parents or um, the, uh, there's not necessarily their parents or, um, you know, like a perp, not necessarily a parent or a perpetrator that's like come after them and sort of uh, groomed them into this behavior. It's young people themselves, um, you know, accessing these things and wanting a piece of that action. And I, I worry, I worry for our uh, younger generation as they have more and more um, ability to sort of craft themselves in a cosmic mirror. Anyway, well, you know the the uh, the thing that they're talking about uh, now is you know it's great to be a child of the 1900s. Um, because we did stupid stuff all the time, mm-hmm. but there's no video of it. Right, right. Unless you were rich. Have you seen the uh, the documentary? Uh, Salil, Salil, uh, Salil Moonfry. Moonfry, yeah, Salil Moonfry. I have actually seen that documentary. Yeah, and hey. it's like all of those. It's all yeah. the like rich and famous kids, yeah. and they were like recording everything. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting documentary. But yeah, it's yeah. So anyway, um, that's our show for today. Uh, you know, to recap, we talked about Florida and what's going on there with uh, the oligarchy that Disney's trying to make and the pushback, and you can be in prayer about that, specifically in what that means for um, what's going to happen in pop culture with Disney and how businesses are going to like push in that, but then also what the outcome could be for things like the church that do have special interests um, that are positive. And then we talked about uh, everything everywhere all at once. Talked about that. Make sure that when you're watching things, you have your mind on. Uh, Chris Pratt. We talked about (laughs) Chris Pratt. (laughs) Please, guys, please pray for Chris Pratt. I feel really bad for him. It doesn't have anything to do. I'm not making a statement about his maturity as a Christian or anything like that. I don't know anything about that. I just know that (laughs) he's really getting it. For really no reason, um, and uh, um, and then we talked about this stuff with um, 
the weight of being child actors and and uh, how basically everybody is a child actor now. Right. So um, that's basically our show for today. Uh, if you need any help, if you need uh, to know more about what we're doing, you can check us out at abfpdx.org. We are part of the Vigilance Radio Network, and we uh, have new content for you. Well, whenever it shows up, we have new content for you. Sometimes, right. sometimes we try to you know, hit it right as it's happening. But generally, this show produces content um, every fourth Saturday at 9 a.m. You can always check out Truth Time with Pastor Monty. generally takes place Tuesdays at 11 a.m., although that won't be happening this Tuesday because I will be in Hawaii. And we have... Uh, the Bible of Pastor Adam every Wednesday at 9.15. And there are sermons, sermons, sermons every week if you need that content. Anything else you might need, check us out at uh, abfpdx.org. That's pretty much it. Cue the disclaimer. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the...